Hi, my name is Danielle and you're listening to Crime and Mystery Canada. On this podcast, we discuss subjects that might be creepy to some and sometimes even frightening. Some of our episodes will deal with serious subject matter, while others will be more lighthearted. Please keep in mind that I am not an expert on any of the topics I cover, just an interested party, and as always, listener discretion is advised. Hi everyone and welcome back. I'm Danielle. And I'm Michelle. And you're listening to Crime and Mystery Canada. I've been working on two episodes lately that I've been kind of struggling to complete. The subject matter is particularly difficult for me to read about, though I do think that both are really important topics that need to be discussed. The reason I'm sharing this with you is that after this week's episode, I'll probably have a few weeks of shorter and more lighthearted episodes as I try to complete the two that I've been working on for a while. Hopefully everyone enjoys tuning in to the mysteries for the next few weeks and If that's not really your thing, please just bear with me for a little while. On this week's episode, we'll be discussing the disappearance of Alex Cooper. To the outside world, Alex Cooper seemed to be a pretty ordinary man. He was a salesman, married, he enjoyed the outdoors and his family. To his family, he was a great man. He was beloved by his children, grandchildren, and his wife Margaret. Alex Cooper was a businessman and he worked in the cleaning industry, but in 1986 he took a different job as a traveling salesman and his work would sometimes take him away from home for a while. Early on the morning of April 4, 1987, Alex's daughter and her husband had left the town of Cranbrook, BC, where they lived, and they decided to head out for the day for a shopping trip. So they were headed to a city a few hours away, and they'd set off fairly early in the morning. As they were driving along, they spotted Alex's car on the side of the road. So that in and of itself wasn't extremely unusual. The car was pulled over near a creek, and Alex was an avid fisherman. So his daughter and her husband decided to turn around and go have a chat with Alex before continuing on their way. According to the 1991 Unsolved Mysteries episode, they made their way down an embankment and got to the creek, but there was no sign of Alex. They looked around for a bit and headed back to the car, still no sign of him. His daughter grew concerned and decided to call her mother. So Margaret tells her daughter that she hadn't seen Alex in 24 hours. I'm assuming he was supposed to be on a business trip. That's why she wasn't really worried about it. Yeah, I I think if you're not expecting somebody because of another reason, you can go missing for a little while before anybody notices. Right. So if you're away traveling in in the 1980s, you didn't have a cell phone. Like you would basically need a payphone or a phone from the hotel to call. Right. So you're not in touch the whole time anyway. And also, like, I don't know how much of a business account they would have had like it may not have been a glamorous job so maybe he didn't even have the money to make a call from a hotel after the daughter searches around so she checked a nearby hotel to see if he was there and called a few hospitals but there was no sign of alex so concern is mounting about his disappearance the police were called in The family had a lot of concerns because he had a heart condition and as far as they could tell all of his medication was left behind Okay, that was going to be my next question. I was wondering if they looked through the car to see 
if he left his things behind or if he had them possibly on his person. They looked around a little bit. When the police get there, though, they really, like, they don't hesitate. You know, you hear about people that are reported missing sometimes and nobody's too concerned. But the police did take this seriously quickly. Basically, they found that he didn't have credit cards. He didn't have ID. He didn't have medication. He would have had basically the clothes on his back. So big red flag. Yeah. The police come, they investigate the area, but they don't see any sign of foul play. They search by air, they search on land, they find no sign of Alex Cooper. The news of his disappearance hits the public, and some people come forward and say that they saw men hitchhiking in the area where the car was found, around the same time that he disappeared. So around the time as far as they know that he went missing. From the police's tone in the Unsolved Mysteries episode, it does seem like they believe that Alex may have disappeared by choice based on that information, but his family had a lot of concerns. His wife talks about how he had carried around a roll of money, so he didn't have a wallet. He basically just kept a roll of cash in his front pocket, and anytime he went to pay for anything, he would just pull that money out. And they did know he'd been to a restaurant shortly before the car was found. So she was concerned that he'd pulled out the roll of money and the wrong person had seen it. And he'd basically been, you know, attacked over that money. Well, that kind of makes sense because anybody who's in uh, big time need for money <laughs> could see that as the perfect opportunity. And especially if he wasn't very aggressive looking or... He was not. Right. He was just like the typical, like smallish kind of man in his 60s. Exactly. So, I mean, opportunity crimes, that would be pretty easy. Yeah, he could have been seen sort of as the perfect victim for someone who was looking to get some quick cash. Right. Alex has five children, but in the Unsolved Mysteries episode, they mainly talk to one daughter, which is the one who found the car. And his daughter is concerned for different reasons than her mother. She's actually concerned that he went down to the creek just to have a look and maybe had a heart attack and fell into the water. They actually drag the creek, though, and they don't find a body or anything belonging to Alex, for that matter. Okay, but the water would have been technically deep enough to bring him if they had to drag it to be carried out with the current or something? Yes, the water would have been deep enough. So it's still a possibility. You mean like the body would have been carried further along? And yeah, carried down of... the water. Yeah. I think anytime someone goes missing in water, there's always that thing that they think they should find the body where they're looking, but sometimes it's not at all where you think it should be. I, I don't think water always acts the way that we expect it to. Fair enough. A year passes by and there's no news from Alex. The family's left to wonder what happened to him. After a year has gone by with her husband missing, Margaret has him declared legally dead by the Supreme Court. There's a whole bunch of reasons, I guess, to do that in terms of, like, settling his estate and things like that. Right, to get some closure paperwork-wise and, I mean, mentally. Yeah, but I do find that I don't know what amount of time has to go by, but most of the cases I've covered, I feel like it's been much more than a year before people petition to the court so I don't know if the court actually has a set amount of time that the person has to be missing before you can do that or it just depends on when the family's ready to go ahead and do it right it might have to do also with like 
the circumstances and the odds of the person still being alive. That's true. That's true. And I, I would assume that they look at all of that when they make the decision to make that declaration. So when she goes to declare him legally dead, she needs a copy of his birth certificate um, in the, the settling of his estate and his affairs. So it's at this point that everything that everyone thought they knew about Alex starts to unravel. Margaret discovers that there's no birth certificate that exists for Alex Cooper. Not only that, but there's no record of his existence at all prior to 1952 when they got married. She can't even find a high school transcript to his name. Interesting. At this point, his wife says that she, she has to start thinking that her husband might not have been fully honest with her. In the episode, once this information comes out, his daughter says that she now wonders about her father's identity, but she says she never questioned who he was as a person, which I thought said a lot, like even in the face of the information that more than likely who he said he was was not at all who he was, she still believes in him as the person she knew, and she, just because he has a different identity, it doesn't change that for her. Yeah, well, that makes sense, too. I mean, if he, the, his character over years and decades would have changed at some point if it was hiding something really terrible personality-wise or... Right, so I, I can't remember the number of years he was with his wife. Well, I guess it was from 52 to 87, but I mean, I don't think you can hide personality traits for that long. Something would have come out to the family if he was a different person in right. terms of, of his... Criminality of his actual... or... Mm. Four more years slip by with no news, only questions for the family. Then on May 27, 1991, a traveling salesman from Toronto is reported missing by a friend. This salesman's name is David Cooper. The police head to Toronto and to the boarding house where he'd been staying and search his room. In the room, they find a photo of Alex Cooper. It doesn't take too much of a mental leap to realize that Alex Cooper and David Cooper are the same person. Wow. So clearly he did disappear willingly. Right. And, I mean, he's working the same type of job that he used to have, so it's not, you wouldn't think it's a case of amnesia or anything like that. Yeah, it's kind of hard to uh, make an excuse at this point. Mm-hmm. But the family's informed that he's been found, but this information really generates mixed feelings, which is totally understandable. He's found, but he's missing again. They're probably relieved to know that he's still alive, but how many questions would you have at that point? Well, I, I think I'd be pretty angry. Yes, and that would be completely understandable. According to the website Unsolved Mysteries Fandom, David Cooper ends up returning to his room in the boarding house on May 29th, so a couple days after he was reported missing, and he discovers that the police have been by and that he was reported missing. So he gets to his room and see that things are all moved around, there's fingerprint dust on the walls. He goes to see his landlady and she tells him that a friend of his reported him missing and the police were by. Mm -hmm. He promptly leaves and once again disappears. Now, just as a bit of a sidebar, any of us who were around for the actual original Unsolved Mysteries in the 90s 
remember that creepy theme song and the show being a must-see every week. I think it was one of those shows that was watched by most households. I mean, we didn't even have cable. It was still on. It was still on weekly. So I think pretty much if you had a TV, you couldn't get Unsolved Mysteries. And I'm only saying that to show that this television show had a really broad reach. So when they aired something, a lot of people were watching it. And it's no surprise because of that, that Unsolved Mysteries did lead to solving many cases. Once the original episode of Unsolved Mysteries about Alex Cooper aired, someone actually called in a tip to the police, leading them to find Alex or David Cooper living in Hamilton, Ontario. The police actually catch up with him this time and go to speak to him, and he tells them his story. He says that his real name is Albin Arsenault, and that in 1948, he was accused of stealing from CP Rail, where he worked. He said that at the time, he was young and he was scared, that he didn't commit the crime, but he didn't want to be accused of something that he hadn't done, so he ended up running and changing his name. Four years later, he got married to Margaret. I guess he didn't realize that at some point that the charges against him would have been dropped, So for years and years and years, he continued to assume the identity of Alex Cooper and never told anyone in his family that he wasn't actually who he said he was. Wow. (laughs) Right? Yeah. He was very misinformed. And it's a wow for so many reasons. Yeah, it's it's kind of a small thing, really, if you think about it. Like that he could have, like, he could have admitted to his family at least. Right. So the reason he ended up fleeing was because he was almost 65 years old and he needed to apply for his pension. But to apply for it, he needed a birth certificate. He knew he couldn't get one. And apparently he tried for weeks to tell his family and just couldn't bring himself to do it. So he fled. He just up and left. That's kind of... (laughs) it's very extreme it is after he spoke to the police he reunited with his family so he returned to bc and got got in touch with them in the episode the family talks about working on forgiveness and he states that he'll need to work the rest of his life to make up for having left them so that's the story of alex cooper david cooper also albin arsenault Wow, that could have been prevented all along and so easily. So I don't usually talk about cases that just have really one source, but when I came across this one, it just, it made me think so many things. And Alex Cooper put his family through hell just because he couldn't blurt out a truth about himself that to all the rest of us who are looking at this are thinking, it's not that bad. Yeah, people walk around admitting and doing horrible things. And this here is such a small thing. It, it's pretty extreme. Like, it's he must have had some sort of um, extreme shame about it. Or yeah. it, it, it had to seem much bigger in his head or in his mind. I can kind of understand after the numbers of years that have passed, the part about telling your family would get bigger and bigger because of... As more years pass by, it it gets worse and worse because you haven't come clean about it. I get that part, but the actually 
running away from your family for like five years. Well, admitting a truth is so much of a small, it's such a smaller thing than running away like that. And he obviously put himself through a lifetime of hell. Obviously, this was weighing on his mind. Yeah, it's kind of like a life-ruining thing for him. Also, I can't keep it thinking, like, a quick call to a lawyer under professional confidentiality and just tell them what happened, and he probably would have been told not to worry about it. Or, worst-case scenario, like, they lay out the outcome of what might happen. Like, I mean, the statute of limitation, I'm sure, has run out at that point, but... Well, I'm 65. I'll call the lawyer and see what my options are, at least. like. Well, plus, I mean, they're not going to pursue somebody who might have stole a small thing from a company and apparently he didn't even do it, so they would have had no proof if he didn't do it. Yeah, and again, like, if your family knew for 30-some-odd years that you were a law-abiding citizen and never broke a law, and then you tell them the story and said, this one time I was accused of something... Like you historically, you look at the person's behavior and say, "Okay, you probably didn't do it." But even if it's even if he had made that Very one mistake, small. right? Like it's not like he embezzled millions. Well, that's the thing, and also you see people all the time who committed a murder, and their family still takes them in once they come out of prison, or the the most heinous crimes. They still have people visiting them. So it's almost like it was super naive and ill-informed of yeah. the law, probably, and just had like a one-track thought about if you commit any kind of crime, you're just shunned. You're or, done. Right. And I think what you said maybe was very true. Like, he just built it up so much in his head over the years that it became this huge thing for him, when in reality it really wasn't. Yeah, for sure. It's... uh. He he definitely made a mountain out of a molehill for that one. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I just, when I, again, when I came across it, I was just like, oh, you have to talk about this because it's, it's not, once someone's disappeared for five years, usually it's because there's something really bad or they're running away from something or they're, you know, they've met with foul, with foul play. Right. Whereas in this case, I guess it kind of ends well in the sense that the family is reunited and I'm sure there's a lot of hurt and anger that needs to be worked on, but at least they get that opportunity. It's pretty sad though, really. Like, think about it. He's been obviously torturing himself about it his whole life and then taking off and his family suffered so badly like it's just such such a world of pain for such a small thing it just it would have been so preventable it feels like just by having a, a single conversation so we usually wind down around this time with a moment of kindness but to be frank i don't really have one to share tonight do you um i don't really either honestly it's been a weird week for me. I was supposed to be on vacation and was really looking forward to it, but unfortunately my vacation got cancelled at the last minute for work reasons. So instead of a moment of kindness, I'm actually going to share two things that made me happy this week. I had to drive quite a bit for work and I've actually been listening to an audiobook called North. It's the story of Scott Jurek's attempt at breaking the record for the fastest time completing the Appalachian Trail. So Scott and his wife Jenny narrate the book. She crewed for him while he was trying to break that record. And they both they both narrate the book, so they each write one chapter. 
And it's a very interesting story. And I think having both their points of view as well was really good. She's very funny and bluntly honest about all her thoughts and feelings. And I'm really enjoying it. So if you have the chance, you should check it out. The other thing is that I actually went swimming in November. It was sort of over a wager that I wouldn't do it. And I did, and I'm pretty proud of myself. And also, I won a donut. So (laughs) (laughs) all in all, it was great. I mean, the water was extremely cold, even if it was a nice day. It was pretty exhilarating, but I'm pretty happy I did it. Yeah, it's pretty rare around here that you can go into any kind of water in November. Yeah, so the water was freezing, but once you stepped out, it was like 20 degrees outside. So it wasn't exactly cold, like it was a nice day. Wow, well, that's pretty good. Yeah. Anything you want to share that made you happy this week? I like that it was 24 one day and 23 degrees and we were moving, so it was nice t-shirt weather for that. Yeah, that's true because it could have snowed this time of year as possible. Oh, it does all the time. Yeah. So thanks to everyone that's been listening. That's all from us for tonight. I appreciate everyone that took the time to download the episode. Every listen is appreciated. You can find us on Instagram at Crime and Mystery Canada. Join our Facebook group, Crime and Mystery Canada, or email us at crimeandmysterycanada at gmail.com. Thanks to everyone for listening, and have a good night. Good night.